Hello and welcome to the Great Longboat Podcast. I am Igor, your host, moderator, and only permanent member of the band Longboat. Today we dissect the tune, The Preacher and the Rattlesnake, from 2019's Album 14. And yes, folks, the election is still upon us, but I have run out of political songs for the moment, so thank God for that. So instead of instead of politics, let's go after religion. There really isn't a whole... I haven't written a lot of songs about religion. This is just kind of one prominent one, and it's about faith, and it's about what what faith can and can't do, and what our vision for the afterlife could possibly look like. And it has to do with a very, very serious man who has a very, very serious relationship with God. Um, you know, chiseled features, um, uh, no sense of humor, uh, all that stuff, all those things that may cause cause a person to be kind of, you know, legendary or legendarily bad. Um, I don't really uh, talk about his, uh, uh, you know, what his character is so much uh, although you know you, what you what you have is that um he is uh he's a preacher he converts people and he um and and he has been successful at converting souls and that means he's convinced people to spurn their evil ways and occupy themselves with uh, thinking about God and the Lord and Jesus and everything else. So, you know, that is his, that's his thing. And uh, he is on his way to convert uh, the regionally renowned wicked mining town of Crass. There is no Crass. There is also no such thing as the other two towns that I mentioned, Yorglup and Deflore. Um, I just, I, I needed something that rhymed with, with what I was, with the previous lines. So those fit, those fit very well into it. You know, it's a, it's a songwriter's conceit. And also you can make up anything you want. Whether or not it makes sense is, you know, that's up to the, the person who listens to it. But this is, of course, the reason why I have the podcast is so I can further explain why I wrote these tunes and what they mean. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> those two things, why I wrote these tunes and what they mean. So we have this sort of, I wanted the music to sound kind of ominous. I, I wanted to, to generate some kind of expectation and, um, and you know what what you end up having it it was i set it up like a fable but it it kind of it doesn't hold together as a fable um even though you do have a talking snake uh it's it's mainly about uh dashed expectations and especially and and you know this this poor preacher he's wasted his life he's wasted his life in this belief that he is clearing the path of the Lord and sending souls to heaven. And, you know, he has, he has this sort of arrogance about him that he believes that since God is on his side, he can just 
put his hands together and pray and this gigantic rattlesnake that's in the middle of his path will go sun himself on some other rock. So, and and that is what this is about. God, the, the Reverend Shipwright, uh, he wants... He wants God to uh, help him out, do him a solid, and and get the snake out of his way so that he can convert souls. And it, I'm I'm you know I'm spoiling it for you, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that. And yes, the snake bites him. And yes, I know that that rattlesnake poison doesn't work that fast. Once again, it's another conceit just to speed the action up and you know and then he and the snake have some parting remarks and uh, it turns out that he's been <laughs> he's he's not he's not been informed how things really work in the afterlife this is the uh, this is the the right reverend and yeah he he dies a disappointed man because hey heaven's full but hell always has room. So this guy who has occupied himself in in saving souls for his entire adult life is going off to where the sinners go. So that is that's pretty much the song. And and I've I've just explained all of it here to you. And and um, and you know this is. This is my interpretation of my own song. Maybe you might have something else. But it is, I believe it is my lovely wife's favorite tune from album 14. That and Barrel Barrel of Laughs, uh, which is the first track. And um, that's because she she and I got to shout on it and shout very loud and maniacally. Uh, but the, the this is her... She she always lists this as her top tune. This is not mine. From I you know, I wrote it and it I recorded it, sang it, you know, and and, and uh, produced the whole thing. And I I I like it, sure, uh, but I have stronger feelings about other tunes on this album. Uh, uh, mostly uh, "Cruelty Forever." Uh, which is I've I've featured that in the past. That is not exactly a political song, but it was my opinion of what America was becoming, this nation of cruelty. This uh, because you know uh, it was reflecting a lot of the uh, a lot of the the wishes of sociopaths and psychopaths. And people who had no idea that they were being cruel. But of course, if their policies were transferred onto them, they would be screaming very loudly. And that's generally the way it is. Uh, that's uh, and oh my God, I'm getting into politics. But you know, with uh, with the the party of Trump, if their if if the policies that they enact affect them and impact them in any sort of negative way, then, oh, wow, up in arms. Just, you know, call out the Luftwaffe because that's, it's just, you know, it's the worst thing ever. And, you know, 
these these are policies that they support when they apply to other people. Say if you know these guys were if if um, you know something happened and there something say legal happened and uh, the first thing they did was take away their children. Um, yeah, yeah, that, they, they probably wouldn't like that very much. Just take away their children and then lose them too, because that was that was also part of the uh, uh, part of the plan. Because the, you know what better deterrent to get people from co- to stop coming to this country than to just take away their children and lose them. Uh, talking about politics again. <laughs> Sorry, but anyhow, this uh, it's just to continue along that. You know, there 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 is a very strong following for Donald Trump within the religious community, and it makes sense to no one outside of that uh, to to see that this here is this guy who is a. a I will just say in a, in a biblical sense, he is a wicked person. He is he has no redeeming qualities, but he gives evangelicals what they want, or at least pays lip service to them, and so they think that's great. So they don't they don't mind what the, they don't mind the guy who who bestows all of this on them. So it's no longer a question of character. I mean, when when Clinton was impeached, oh, it was all about character. Oh no, you can't you can't possibly be a president and have a moral flaw like that. Oh no, no, we need him out of office. Quoth Lindsey Graham, uh, <laughs> a man who is who is you know uh, a kind of. I think he's the poster child for all hypocrisy now because you know he he presided over the the Clinton impeachment from the house perspective and when he was when he was in the house of representatives and said lots of things and then of course when when Trump was impeached uh he said a lot of the opposite things and more recently about appointing judges uh, about how in an election year a Supreme Court justice should not be appointed and that you can quote him on that. And then, of course, a Supreme Court justice was appointed. And we're quoting you on that. And, I mean, I'm not in South Carolina. He's up for election. I'm not in South Carolina. I haven't given any money to any any politician or any organization this year just because... I, in politics, I don't like the way the money gets spent, and uh, because yeah, and, and I mean, if I was donating to Donald Trump, I would be outraged because his money, his his campaign squandered all of his money. That's why you see very few Trump commercials now, and also there there are not very many in Washington State because we are not a swing state. We are we are definitely going for Biden. Uh, we are definitely going to reelect our governor, uh, who isn't really great, uh, and I don't agree with him on a lot of things. And also, when he talks, he does not sound very smart. But you know, he ran for president, uh, you know, as as he was in the Democratic primaries and dropped out after a couple of months. But his whole thing was about um, in you know environmental awareness, and that's okay. And I am sure. I am positive that he is going to be appointed to, if Biden wins, 
And of course, you know, nothing is for certain uh, that if Biden wins, he's going to be appointed to his cabinet as either Secretary of Interior or maybe uh, EPA administrator, something like that. So we will be governorless. And um, I don't know, I guess the lieutenant governor will take over or there's some sort of there's some sort of hierarchy here in the state. And yeah, just as long as it's not Lauren Culp. Ugh. Yeah, well, I mean, I've talked about him in previous episodes. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about politics now, but let's get back to religion. Uh, you know, I grew up as a very uh, as a Catholic, and I liked Catholicism. I did not like going to mass because we would always get there late and have to stand. And then, and as I grew up, I realized that that you know when you're a kid, you go, you pray, you say hi, God. You know, um, it's me. Uh, can I have a bike for Christmas? <laughs> You know, God, if, in lieu of Santa Claus, uh, prayers to God work too. And, you know, you, you're you're talking to him as a kid, as somebody who is completely um, benevolent and all understanding and everything like that. But as you grow older, you get more rules. You get more and more rules. You realize that God has a lot of rules and Catholicism has even more. And... I don't think that I I really don't think that uh, that's the way God intended for His people to worship Him. Which you know, the Catholic Church is a bureaucracy, and also you know, I grew up as as in Catholicism. I never ran into any trouble. We always had really nice priests. Uh, there there has been no scandal anywhere in the diocese. That I, I mean, at least in in our diocese, which was which was you know North Seattle, and in the time that I was going to church, so yeah, no, no, there's there's no like there's <laughs> so you know there there's no kind of there was nothing that is uh, you know tainting my view of the Catholic Church, and then of course when the charges came out. And this was late 80s, early 90s. And from then forward, at first I was thinking, oh, God, you know, they, that this can I would I thought like any Catholic, like this cannot be real. These are these people are obviously making this up for their own reasons and everything. But it has not stopped. It, 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 it has not. And and, you know, I gradually saw that this was an institution that was structured for that sort of malfeasance to happen and their own sort of like self-investigation that when when i heard this this was the last straw there was a and and i oh, i heard this kind of recently but you know i was always kind of like not for the last 15 or so years I've been sort of not looking at the I've been looking at the church with disfavor based on the way that they dealt with the, all these sex scandals but there was uh, and I'm I hope I'm remembering this right but there was a, uh, a I believe Archbishop of Krakow Poland who was um, it was discovered that he had a laptop with lots of child pornography on it and of course the the polls 
wanted to, even though Poland is a very Catholic country, the Polish authorities wanted to prosecute him. But instead, the Vatican whisked him away so they could do the investigation themselves. And so they here they have this guy who is just, you know, who's, who's kind of kicking it in the Vatican. And they pick some guy to investigate him. And while he's, he's heading up this investigation, he gets charges of child molestation against him. And I believe it goes one step further. So they fire him or they whisk him back to the Vatican so they can investigate him. And then finally, the, the next investigator that they have is is cited for child pornography in his country wherever that is and it just it just seems like that that in all of these years they have learned nothing and i am you know it disappoints me because at at certain times the catholicism was a great comfort to me knowing that there was this sort of uh, the, the, there was this structure to, to salvation, and all you had to do was, you know, engage in the sacraments and do and have a righteous heart and everything like that. But with this song, what happens if if the afterlife is not as you think it is? Um, so I'm going to I'm going to play it now, and um, and. We'll we'll discuss a little bit more after after it's over. So um, this is uh, with um, me on vocals. I wrote it and I produced it and did all the arrangements uh, on guitar. R.L. Heyer, wonderful guy. Uh, Hammond organ, Joe Doria on uh, piano, Mr. Jazz, Bill Anshel, uh bass, Chris Simer, drums, Devon Lewis. Violin. First violin is Steve Bryant, uh, Kelly Ferris, Eugene Bajanov. Violin two, Don, Tom Zikonski and Ella Marie Gray. Um, backing vocals. The very crucial backing vocals, which give this, uh, a, you know, such a a wonderful, almost Ennio Morricone-esque feel to them. That's that's Ryan Leva. It was recorded and mixed by Floyd Reitzma and mastered by the great Ed Brooks at Resonant Mastering. This is The Preacher and the Rattlesnake. The Right Reverend Martin Powers Shipwright is a man of faith on a mission to redeem the wicked. For him, his life's only work is to preach the word and save souls from the hellfire that surely awaits them. His destination is the mining town of Crass, known far and wide for its immorality. Long had he marched through the desert's burning sand With God in his heart and a Bible in his hand Now in the mountains, striding through the narrow pass On the other side stood the sinful town of Crass He had faced the devil so many times before Just look at his holy work in towns like York, Loop, and Deflore 
But they're up ahead now In the middle of the track Lay one very large Western diamond back That made the preacher say I'm gonna pray I'll pray For God to get you out of my way I'm gonna pray I'm gonna pray Cause yonder there are souls in Satan's sway Oh, they've gone astray opened his eyes and the snake was still there the rattler hadn't moved there was no way around this was the only path to crash where the living was unsound the sun was intense as he joined his calloused hands give it another try I'm sure the good Lord understands I'm gonna To get you out of my way I'm gonna pray I'm gonna pray Cause yonder there are souls in Satan's sway Oh, they've gone His prayer had been received Yes, belief is belief And that's what he believed Onward he forged Pressing his holy luck As soon as he approached Well, that's when the creature struck The poison spread quickly The preacher knew he was done for As he collapsed to the ground he protested But I'm doing the Lord's work well, here's the problem, said the snake. Heaven's been full for centuries. There's just no room for anyone else. All those souls you saved ended up getting turned away. But what about me, asked the preacher with his dying breath. You'll be turned away too. Sorry, all that praying and righteousness and self-denial, it really was for nothing. Well, at least you kept busy. Anyhow, have fun in hell. The devil always has room. So I ask you honestly, if you knew that no matter what you did, you would end up in hell, 
which you spend very much time in church. Uh, and and that's that's kind of the question that I want to raise. I don't want to say that. Of course, I am only, I'm just speculating. This is all poetic license everywhere. Maybe you, after you die, you do go to the pearly gates and, and chat with St. Peter, who holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven and uh, and all that stuff. And, and we were only we were only granted righteousness after Jesus. So everybody who, who lived before him was is consigned to purgatory at best. But of course, the Catholic Church has come out and said purgatory doesn't exist anymore. I, I believe they even say that hell doesn't exist. But I mean, where does Hitler go? Where does Stalin go? Where do the history's biggest monsters? I mean, where's, where's Trump gonna go? That I'm, I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Seriously, for a friend. But yeah, if there's no hell, I mean, there has to be some kind of, some kind of place where, you know, the bad people go. But, you know, in my, in my, um, uh, when I listen to conspiracy uh, podcasts, and, you know, there are a few. The, my, my favorite, of course, is The Unexplained with Howard Hughes, who is not the real Howard Hughes but a Howard Hughes, he's a British guy, and you know he really wants to believe all this stuff. And he's he's a he's a sort of he's a news reader in the UK, and uh, he's a very nice guy, a super nice guy. Not exactly hard hitting in the in the interview department, but you know he has he has conspiracy theorists on and ghost hunters and ufologists. And um, people who have, uh, you know, cryptozoologists or uh, people who uh, like to, you know, uh, hunt cryptids and and which, you know, they never end up catching uh, and and all this uh, other stuff. And and one another one of those things is near death experiences. And and of course, the people who detail these, they they tell of you know this like tremendous serenity and beauty and and how nobody has any bodies and and it's all I mean most of them do, and then some of them tell about you know a feeling like they're being ripped apart every second of the their time that they're spending in this like eternal darkness. So yeah, so and people they they seem to to interpret that as heaven or hell and um scientists have some have said that this is just the brain dying uh and and that uh, i mean mean, there's nothing that we can really we can come to any conclusion about this is but but you know i i was i became interested in this when my my father started to kind of his health started failing and you know i wanted to i wanted to feel like there was that he was going he would go to a better place a good place because you know he was having lots of problems physically his mobility was going down he was having dementia and he you know he couldn't remember things he couldn't his head, you know, he'd always had a good head with figures. Uh, he liked to, you know, he was an investor and he liked to play the stock market and he was having problems concentrating. And that was, you know, he was, he was very sad about that. And then plus he was, this all happened at the same time. He was having macular degeneration. So he couldn't see if he would like read 
some con- uh, company's prospectus or his his own his own company's profit and loss loss statements he couldn't see the the small print but yet he would be doing he'd be trying to sort of cover this do all of the stuff that he had been doing for the the decades before but he just could not do it well and so you know i just that you know once he had reached the end of the trail once his story had concluded i just i i wanted to believe that there that you know not only was there a better place for him but there would be a place where we would meet again and you know that that's that's religion right there that's that you know he he grew up mormon and that's what it's all about it's like meeting your family in the afterlife and spending eternity with them and that's that's a lovely thought um it's just a shame that mormonism was founded by a con man uh, and i mean plain and simple but it's it's you know even even you know shysters like joseph smith um knew to tell people what they wanted to hear and especially if they like their family if they if you don't like your family and you're going to be spending an an eternity with them then that that's kind of awful wouldn't it be <laughs> but anyhow i just i i wanted i wanted that i i wanted to you know investigate this like near death experiences because just to see whether they could be believed and my conclusion like everything like all everything paranormal from ufos to conspiracy theories to uh bigfoot my experience my conclusion is that it's made up there is no proof for anything there is no solid proof there's only anecdotal evidence and people who 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 claim an experience and I, I don't mean to minimize or discount them, but th- there is no way that these these experiences can be proven in any kind of scientific way. There is no measuring what uh, there there is there is no way to record a near death experience. There's no way to it. It's just it's anecdotal and it's ephemeral and i would like to think that my dad is it's you know because he has since passed away um that happened a year and a half ago in fact right in the middle of i i do mention this um right in the middle of me recording four albums um this yeah um let's see the he, it was about six days after I um, had the string session on this album. So, yes, f- February 11th, um, uh, 2019. And, yeah, in the middle of a snowstorm. And, uh, yeah, so anyhow, I, I, I won't go into any more detail than that. But, but yeah, so, but, of course, this song was, this song was written before then. And it had, you know, I'm, 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 my dad was not a religious person. He got out of Mormonism as as quickly as he could, and uh, uh, but he, you know, he, I I believe he was a righteous person, and uh, I, I I would like 
he he and I were not really super close, but we kind of came to an understanding because you know he thought that that any efforts in music were were kind of a waste of time, and uh, so yeah because and and from his personal experience you know he was in the restaurant business and they had he started in the industry back when they used to have live music live music everywhere and so he would have to deal with these musicians and this was during the 60s and 70s and and they were extremely unreliable because so many of them were drug addicts and alcoholics and so he saw that and he was and and I can understand that now but at the time it was just like yeah don't do that and so you and and you know you would you would sort of get shut down and and the more you would the more that i sort of exhibited interest in music sort of the more he would just not want to talk about it and the more he would just he, he would be sort of dismissive of it but things did change uh, when i when I uh, premiered Macrosphere O'Reilly, they changed, completely turned around. And that was in 2007. And because he didn't think that I, <laughs> he didn't know that that was, you know, that that my skills included uh, a full-scale oratorio that went on for a long time. And uh, and so, you know, we, we kind of came to an understanding. And I, you know, I told him, and, you know, I don't want this to sound arrogant or anything like that but I and I told him that, that I can do things that lots and lots and lots of people can't I can write music very quickly I can write music very well and of course that is my advice to anyone who writes music write quickly write well and and you know if somebody had given me that advice uh, I I I would have taken it, but nobody, nobody ever gives you advice like that. Um, and, you know, there, there's always the, you know, uh, nurture it until it's done. But if you want to uh, write a lot of music, if you want to leave a legacy of music behind, you're, you're, it's, it's not hackery to write quickly. Uh, it's, in fact... It's a test of talent, it, whether you have talent or not. Um, uh, what will happen if, if you don't have talent? All your music will sound the same. And, and you know, all your forms will be the same. And a lot of your subject matter will be the same because you, you fail to explore what is outside of what you ordinarily do. And right now I'm writing new albums and I have, uh, I, I'm, taking these uh, these starter tunes and I am making them, I'm giving them a form, you know, because if you listen to it, your standard form in, in rock and roll pop music is, um, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, some kind of bridge, verse chorus conclusion or or we'll say intro verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus conclusion maybe repeat chorus and so you get three verses sometimes four sometimes there's a double verse if there's a if if the tune is quick enough you'll have a double verse out front uh after the introduction 
Sometimes there's no intro. You know, this, this is all variable, but we're, we're, we're taking, we're compiling statistics here. But three, three verses, three choruses, and maybe there's a bridge, maybe there's a guitar solo or something like that. So what I do is I sort of preform these tunes that I'm working on so they won't all have the, the, the same structure. And this is, I've, I've done it for one album. I'm just writing two albums this for, for next year. And it's going really well. And of course, you know, as I'm doing this, also snippets of lyrics pop out in the schizophrenia of the moment. And those are becoming part of the song. They're, you know, and this, this whole thing snowballs into these become finished tunes. And then what I have to do now, since it's going to be all live instruments, I think there's just one electronic track so far, and it's a drum track, but um, it's going to be all for live instruments, so I have to shape what the live instruments are going to sound like in the demos, either that or have some sort of specific idea of how these things will work. And so um, that is where I am right now, But, but I am... I'm very excited about it. I am in no rush for once. Last year, I was, uh, you know, it, six albums took me six months. And they only took, each one only took about three weeks to write. But then I had to learn how to sing it, too. And, yeah. And also generate parts, because there were string parts. And and, uh, and for and there were live musicians. Uh, album 21 had live musicians on it. And... I and I was, you know, a, a flurry of activity from July until uh, January, and it was yeah, and and still I didn't feel like I had a, a. There were a lot of songs I didn't feel like I had a grasp on until I actually got into the studio, and then of course COVID and blah blah blah, you know, this terrible tragedy that has befallen us. And, um, but, which delayed things, but it actually didn't, didn't cause me to alter many things. And, um, and here we are now. <laughs> and, uh, so I've released two of those albums this year, the Wow and the Pow Volume 1 and Basically Blue Volume 1, of which, uh, the, on which, uh, I, uh, is, is the tune Boris and the Rusalka. And it's also now a video on YouTube. I've been, you know, waiting for the these very nice russians to finish this video uh since july and now it's done it's been out for a week and it's now it's just do boris and the rusalka uh for a uh, longboat official video and you'll get it and yeah okay that's <laughs> i think that's enough for this week my my lovely wife and i are going to retreat to our um lovely lakeside bunker um where we this is where we went on on vacation this this summer um uh, up in rural snohomish county and ironically kind of trump country but i i think people are a little bit our hosts we're we're staying at airbnb and our hosts are, are reasonable people very very nice very smart and uh uh i just look forward to getting away from the election. I just do not want anything more to do with this election. I do not want to talk about politics until I really have to again. And uh, I'm I'm also looking forward to just having 
um, having podcasts about music and and that's it and just sort of telling telling stories from the sessions and things like that but anyhow so if you if you really want to get a hold of me you can uh, you can write to me at uh, email me at at longboatpodcast all one word at gmail.com uh, um, longboat is um, long sorry the um, longboat discography of all the albums that have been released so far is available on bandcamp at longboat.bandcamp.com and um I just want to thank you for sticking with me through this uh, through this kind of labyrinthine uh, uh, discourse that I've I've uh, managed to stage here, and uh, th- yes, thank you, thanks. And so, like I always say, if you don't like this tune, I have others. Thanks again for joining me. Bye bye.